Welcome to the Think Theism Podcast. The Pentateuch contains the divinely revealed governing laws of the nation of Israel. All Christians recognize that part of that law has been fulfilled in Christ's redeeming work on the cross and no longer is required by the people of God. An example would be animal sacrifices. But at the same time, we also recognize that some sentiments are still applicable today. For example, the Ten Commandments, or loving your neighbor as yourself. But the question is, where do we draw the line? Tonight, Caroline will be guiding us through this question. Mosaic civil laws are obligatory for civil governments today. The argument is simple. If the laws are just and they have not been rescinded by scripture explicitly or by some necessary deduction, then they're applicable. Not just applicable, but if they're just, they're obligatory. They were just then and there's no reason in the world that they're not just today. I'd like to read you a little story. In September of 1642, a man by the name of Thomas, I can't pronounce it, and I wasn't there to ask him, Granger, was the first person to be hanged in the Massachusetts Bay Colony. He was a servant in Plymouth County. At the age of 16 and at the age of 17, or of 17, they're unclear, Mr. Granger was convicted of buggery with a mare, a cow, two goats, diverse sheep, two calves, and a turkey. According to the court records of his trial on the 7th of September, 1642, Granger confessed to his crimes in court privately to local magistrates and upon indictment publicly to ministers and the jury, being sentenced to death by hanging until he was dead, and he was hanged the very next day for his crime. Before Granger's execution, following the laws by which he was convicted, Leviticus 20:15, and if a man shall lie with a beast, he shall surely be put to death, and ye shall slay the beast. The animals involved were slaughtered before his face, thrown into a large pit dug for their disposal, and no use being made of any part of them. And the account of that incident is written in the journals of the governor of Massachusetts Bay Colony, William Bradford. Question, was that penalty just? That's basically the video that I wanted to um, show y'all. Basically what happened was this man in the Massachusetts Bay Colony was... um, convicted of essentially sexually harassing these animals. And in accordance with the laws of Leviticus that govern incidents like this, he was hanged. They followed the teachings in Leviticus to the letter in executing this. And so the question that Joel McDermott, who's a leading theonomist, asked at the end was, was that a just punishment? For right now, I would just like to start by taking like no more than five minutes to discuss whether or not that punishment was just. If you think that it's unjust, then why not? And we're going to talk more about all of this later, but just for right now, was that punishment just? 
Anybody think it was just? Just to show a hands, you don't have to explain why. Okay. Anybody think it was unjust? Okay, the majority of people are undecided. What we can do is just um, discuss this more after we've talked about the subject matter, if y'all would be more comfortable with that. So basically, what we're going to do is talk about what theonomy is, because I personally didn't know what theonomy was until we had this same discussion, and I think that was last spring. So it's been that long since we've talked about this topic, but I've been fascinated with it ever since. So I'm going to, you know, first explain what theonomy is, and then I'm going to talk about a few arguments in favor of it, a couple arguments against, and I can't be exhaustive in either one, so y'all will probably come up with more arguments for and against. And then finally, we're going to wrap it up and just discuss, and that's going to be the majority of the time that we have here. This is not an official definition. It's one that I basically made up because a lot of the definitions are extremely wordy, and this is, I think it's succinct, that theonomy is the idea which holds that if Mosaic laws... So we're talking about the laws that God gave to the Israelites upon their exit of Egypt, beginning with the Ten Commandments. So it's the end of Exodus through Leviticus. So if those laws were ever just, then they are still just to this day, and thus they're binding upon current governments. Because if these laws are just, and you don't follow them, then the logic goes that the opposite of justice is injustice. And since current governments, I wouldn't think that any of us would seriously argue that they should act in an unjust way. The, the conclusion of that the anonymous make is that they're binding upon current governments. I should actually probably talk about this for one second. Joel McDermott, who is the man that y'all just heard speaking and giving the example about bestiality, he doesn't actually believe that the death penalty should be carried out for all of the crimes that the Bible specifically says that it should be. So I think because he is a leading theonomist, we're going to go with that definition. So if you decide you want to advocate for theonomy, just know that for the purposes of this discussion, you're not arguing for murdering everybody that reacts in anger to their parents or anything like that. Obviously, the biggest premise of this argument is a big argument in favor of it, that if the Mosaic laws were just, then they are still just. Initially, that seems to make sense. I wouldn't think anyone here would argue that justice or morals fluctuates in if you do think that, that's great. We'll talk about it at Revs. But um, for now, I think a lot of us would assume that if that what was once just continues to be just. Secondly, theonomists believe that the Mosaic laws have not been rescinded. God hasn't said since then that these laws no longer apply. And then I'm going to give you all two verses that theonomists hold to. And at the end, one of the things I'd like to focus us on is if you're opposed to this idea that current governments have to use the Mosaic laws, then these are two verses that should be addressed. The first one is 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 11. Now we know that the law is good, provided one uses it legitimately. We know that the law is not meant for a righteous person, but for the lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinful, for the unholy and irreverent, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexual, immoral, and homosexuals, for kidnappers, liars, perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, based on the glorious gospel of the blessed God that was entrusted to me. The main part of it is in verse 8 where it says, we know that the law is good provided one uses it legitimately or lawfully. And initially that does sound like a circular argument, but theonomists just hold that it's a presuppositional argument, so we can allow for that. And then the second verse that I wanted to read is Matthew 5.18. For I assure you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all these things are accomplished. So for the context of this verse, Jesus is describing the things that will happen in the end time. So Jesus says, until all of those things have been fulfilled, not one stroke of the law shall pass away. 
Now, obviously, that's a favorite verse of theonomists. That's just a really, really brief, basic overview of, of, of what theonomists believe. But now we're going to move on to some of the things that the critics of theonomy say. This is the background for what we need to understand about the arguments against. Now, there are three categories of Mosaic law. There's the moral law, which um, is things governing like sexuality and the Ten Commandments fall under moral law. There's ceremonial law, which governs what you can and can't eat. And then there's the civil law. Now, most theonomists don't actually believe that we have to follow the ceremonial law because those things were fulfilled um, with the sacrifice of Jesus. So we don't have to, for example, offer sacrifices to atone for our sin anymore because Jesus is our atonement. And keep in mind that the people who are theonomists are Christians, like they're uh, Orthodox, in, or most of them are. So the, we have these three categories, moral, ceremonial, and civil. The debate here is over whether the civil <coughs> law is applicable. And those are like the rules that governed how Israel, the commonwealth, was to be um, governed. <coughs> so just to check for understanding on this, I thought this would be a fun apologetics application of what I just said. So this is an argument that atheists use. I'll read it to y'all because the print is really small, but basically they bring up a lot of arguments of the ceremonial law and they compare it to something that's in the moral law. What they say is, if you quote Leviticus to justify hatred and persecution of gays, be honest, have you broken any of these rules in Leviticus? Eating fat, carelessly making an oath, letting your hair become unkempt, tearing your clothes. So based on what I just said about the three categories of law, does anybody have any idea for how we would respond to this if we were to encounter this when dialoguing with someone who's not a Christian? Part of the ceremonial law. Yes. Yay. Good job. Thank you, Samuel. That's what it is. And I thought this would be a good thing to talk about because I do have a pet peeve about things like this, especially when they start out with rhetoric, trying to paint Christians a certain way. Moving into the arguments against theonomy. <clears throat> Essentially what I just said, the, only the moral law is still binding. So that would ex that, what they're basically <coughs> saying here is that the civil law is no longer binding. And one of the biggest reasons that they believe that the civil law was only binding for Israel, the commonwealth, was that in the Old Testament we see a lot of examples of God judging the nations. But the argument that critics of theonomy use is like, God only ever judged those nations because they violated the moral law. He never once held those nations accountable for the civil law. So extrapolating from this, the critics of theonomy believe that this is strong evidence that those um, civil laws were only intended for Israel, the commonwealth, during that uh, specific time in history. This is a critique of Joel McDermott's brand of theonomy, which holds that the death penalty is not applicable, that the death penalty doesn't have to be used by the governments for all of the things that the Leviticus stipulates that it must be used for. And what they basically say is that this brand of theonomy takes all the, um, all the power and weight out of theonomy and it kind of lessens your credibility because on what grounds would they take out the death penalty part? Because that's a punishment that's stipulated by God. And how does that commandment punishing these crimes what makes that any different from the other laws that theonomists are um, asking us to, to follow? Simply what the critics of theonomy are saying is that it's a double standard. Why would you take out the death penalty if you won't just take out the rest of the civil law that the death penalty is required for violations too? Does that make sense to everybody? Okay. So now we're going to move into the discussion part, and I'm really excited about this because this is a fun thing to talk about, and I don't often get a chance to talk about it with people because a lot of people don't know what theonomy is, and I didn't either, so it's completely fine. So the first thing I wanted to ask was, do we have any theonomists or theonomic sympathizers, which is another term I made up in the room? Okay. What, what do you mean by theonomic, theonomic sympathizer? Okay, so basically what I mean by that is, can you see the logic in it? Um, does it sort of, does it at least seem like an internally consistent view to hold? Or is it just 
undeniably riddled with holes. I, I'd say I completely disagree, but I can at least sympathize with their logic. Okay. I consider myself a theologist, so... Okay. Um, Although, I, I definitely do disagree with uh, Joe Durham's brand, because I feel like it, <clears throat> it tends to be a little bit, like you said, inconsistent, and it tries to incorporate some of the humanist elements of libertarianism, like yeah um there's yeah if there's one thing that uh theonomy is incompatible with it's libertarianism i I feel like i feel like theonomy is an all or nothing kind of um philosophy to hold either you have to accept all of it or you you can't just accept bits and pieces that you like if you're going to be a theonomist you have to be a theonomist through and through and i think that's a problem is that a lot of the opinions that being a theonomist through and through would be incredibly unpopular in such a progressive society, I suppose, that we find ourselves in. Especially, like, the stoning gaze thing, keeping your hair unkept and covering women and all that kind of stuff, so. Yeah, just to clarify something about theology, though, and this is in general agreement among theologists, is you can't, like, for example, when it comes to gays, you can't just stone somebody because they claim they're gay. Like, the, the whole point of theology is there has to be, there has to be witnesses to a crime under something wrong with for them to be punishment. And uh, so just because somebody claims to be gay, they're not going to get punished on the honest side. Uh, now, if they're caught doing it, then yes, they, they would be punished. Okay. Yeah, that was the standard typically used in Bible times, as we know from the example of um, the woman caught in adultery that they brought to Jesus. Um, well, they um, the yeah, they was, caught her in the act. Well, the problem there was, according to the law, they had to both the oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with that. And they didn't do that, but yeah. So anything, um, any more? Do y'all have any like specific thoughts on theonomy? Um, or <coughs> is there something where like, if this aspect of it was different, I would be a theonomist? Or does everybody like categorically disagree with it, except for Samuel? The basic- how, how many of you have an opinion one way or the other? Raise your hand. Okay. And how many of you are undecided and just want to see the sparks fly? <laughs> okay. Okay. I think I think my biggest question with theonomy is Matthew five eighteen because it's talking about not one letter of the law, but you know, as we know that there are three different types of law that are discussed in the Old Testament. Now, in the proper context, the problem is it was one verse. So in the proper context, is it talking about all laws or is it talking about the one that is most consistently consistent, I suppose, with the New Testament, which is moral law? That was the first thing that occurred to me. Um, I looked up the word law in Strong's Concordance. This is in Matthew 5.18 where it says, um, and not one um, stroke of the law shall pass away until these things are fulfilled. So I looked it up in Strong's Concordance, and uh, the bottom line is that I learned absolutely nothing. I checked out the other places it was used, and in every single instance it was used to mean law. So I don't know anything beyond that. Can you go a couple of verses back and maybe a couple of verses forward and see what that reveals? Well, that's what I was going to say is that it seems like the rest of Matthew is just talking about the Ten Commandments, and the Ten Commandments can be considered law. Yeah. So that puts an interesting spin on it, too, because then you're considering the law just to be the Ten Commandments. Okay, yeah. so well, are you... So if you, so if you think about, what's, what's the actual number on that verse? 518. 518. 518. Mm-hmm. So think about the whole chapter, Matthew <coughs> right. chapter 5. What is, I mean, it's Sermon on the Mount, right? So what is, yeah. what's happening? So Jesus is saying, here's all these things that you're supposed to do, right? Mm-hmm. Basically, like you said, going through the Ten Commandments. And then he's saying that, but actually the law isn't those. The Ten Commandments isn't the law. The Ten Commandments 
is just kind of, uh, you know, it's a written down sort of truncated version of what, what the law really is. The law isn't just that if you adulter, um, you commit adultery that you're guilty. It's that if you lust after a woman, if you look lustfully at a woman, that you have broken the law. So the whole point there is that when, when he's talking about the law, it doesn't seem like he is talking about the written down word for word text of Exodus and Leviticus. Yeah. Um, because if he were, then he wouldn't be you know yelling at the Pharisees saying this is not right. He would be saying, yeah, as long as you check these ten things off, you're good. What he's saying is that the law is is not the letter of the law; that it's something more important than that, that it's the moral law. See, but the problem that I have with that is um, if you like, first of all, we don't really have a reason to just interpret this as the Ten Commandments because looking back, um, he starts on this topic in verse 17 and the only place he really talks about the law is don't assume that I came to destroy the law and the prophets. Um, I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. So call, just like defining that as the Ten Commandments would suggest that the Ten Commandments like will no longer be in effect after these things are fulfilled. I'm, no, I'm not saying that he's talking only about the Ten Commandments. I'm saying that even when he's talking about the Ten Commandments, he's not just talking about what's written down. He's talking about conceptually what is the law, right? So he's are you saying, saying like the moral law? The, yeah. So broadly, the law, which seems to be what the New Testament in general means when it's talking about the law, right? Um, you know, Paul doesn't care about circumcision or, you know, eating pigs. He cares about the moral portion of the law. Um, there's never any mention of, you know, of any other portion of the law. And it's never this, you know, the typical, at that time, interpretation of Leviticus where you have all these really detailed rules about what you can do that's like the opposite right yeah but like that's just it so um everyone's in agreement about the ceremonial law because that was taken care of in acts when Paul was or uh, Peter excuse me was able to eat all those animals that had previously right. been considered unclean so that's not up for debate and the moral law is also not up for debate so what we have is like the civil law is we're wondering if that still applies and the problem that we have is like the new testament doesn't really talk about it so that, that's why there's a debate at all. I, I think I think one of the big interesting things is that when I see in scripture, and this is just this is just this isn't a logical set stone type thing, but this is just a kind of a trend that I notice that when you see one example kind of pointing to the opposite to a lot of other examples, then you need to figure out what that one example is, and you need to figure that out. I feel that Matthew five eighteen is one of those instances that we got to figure out what the context is because <coughs> if but I just um, read all the context. Oh, oh I, I know, but I mean, like I'm talking about like in other instances, like. If you're at the if Jesus was a theonomist, for instance, if I'm Jesus, a theonomist for the purposes of the evening. Oh, okay. So, okay, so sweet devil's advocate. I like this. Okay, um, so considering being a theonomist, if Christ was a theonomist, if Christ believed that the civil law was just as important as the moral law, why, when they brought the adulterer out to stone her, Jesus said, "Those of you who are without sin, throw the first stone." Would he not be in a? Would he not be in support? of the civil law and say, you need to stone her. That's according and according well, to the law. We were just talking about that because they were in violation of the law. They were supposed to bring the adulterer out with the adulteress, and they did. So they were in sin by, <clears throat> by violating yeah, that, the They were just testing Jesus, I think, in that instance. I'm not sure if I would consider that a good example because I was just trying to trap him and be like, oh, is he going to like ex either back us up, thus justifying <clears throat> our authority, 
or go against the law. And of course, Jesus did neither because he always did great with these tests. But yeah. Well, also, a better example might be the way that Jesus handled the, the Sabbath regulations. Exactly. Came yeah. Up on multiple occasions. Yeah. When he when he said get up and walk, and the Pharisees had a complete hissy fit about it um, because they completely broke all manners of civil law considering the Sabbath. You know, if Christ, and in that instance, it's not only Christ saying, "Oh no, don't uphold the law." Christ was actually advocating a breaking of that civil. That particular civil uh, law. I, uh, I think what he was, I think what it is is uh, the Pharisees had created, and he talks about it uh, in other parts of the Gospels. The Pharisees had created these human traditions surrounding that law that they made equal to the law, and he actually condemned them for it. Okay, Miranda, what were you going to say? Your name's Miranda, right? Yeah. Okay. I have a question, and it's going to like throw a wrench in this whole argument. Um, but so, do people who are theodomists who support this argument? How do they, do they just think their argument trumps like the concept of like separation of church and state and that kind of thing to where everybody should just go based off of this regardless if they're applying it to our government? Yeah, yeah, they don't believe in separation of church and state. Where is religious liberty in the Bible? It's nowhere. If you read Judges, this is my favorite, this is a really example. The book of Judges says, and so and so became judge and rebuilt the pagan temples and was a bad king. And so-and-so became king and destroyed all of the pagan temples in the land, and he was a good king. And so-and-so rebuilt those temples, and he was a bad king. And so-and-so destroyed those temples. So the Bible explicitly says there in the commentary, a good civil magistrate destroys uh, the temples of the non-Yahweh worshippers. So if anything, the Bible is probably the least uh, favorable um, book whenever it comes to religious liberty. Oh, yeah. No, I understand that. Yeah. but. What I'm saying is I feel like that's going to be a lot of people's arguments against the autonomist, is how can you force your law based on your book on everybody if that's your book that you believe in and you don't believe that book. Yeah, well, um, the contention is basically if the laws were ever just, then they're still just because what is just doesn't change. Morals don't change. It's all the same in the last thousand years. They're like... Um, that would mean, you know, by extension, that the current system that we have is unjust. And so we need to restore justice by... So, yeah, they don't care about the Constitution whatsoever. It's, well, I, I would argue, uh, when it comes to freedom of religion, the founding fathers themselves believed that freedom of religion meant freedom of different denominations to health, but not, not like, church of Satan. That's kind of what they meant. Yeah, I mean, they didn't like most people didn't like the Quakers, but yeah. they all agreed that they should be permitted to exist. <coughs> I, I think one of the biggest <coughs> biggest things. So just, this is kind of moving away from you know kind of the whole biblical aspect, but rather all all the laws that theonomists supported were in a theocracy. We don't live in a theocracy anymore. So our theonomists completely in support of saying overthrow the government, we need a theocracy and go in according to these. Okay. That's basically well, all right. No. All right let, well, yeah, but, you know, let the theonomists speak. Other, some people are Joel Montgomery's camp. Nobody really supports the government. Also, what you said earlier about what did it have to do with the Constitution? About, uh, or? being a, a theocracy and kind of <clears throat> the argument not in a theocracy anymore. Yeah, the argument we would make is everything is a theocracy. There's no such thing as a non-theocracy. It's just uh, it just who is your God and what was. Okay. So I I, I want to talk again about this <clears throat> when we're talking about just, what does it mean for a law to be just? 
And if one law is just, does that mean that any alternative, all alternative laws are unjust? Um, like what, what does that mean? Because that's basically what what's-his-name's argument was, which is that if the laws of Leviticus are just, any other law would have to be unjust because it's not the law. Or of less Leviticus. just because less, well, the yes, code that we have here is the only one that we have from God directly. Yes, but so presumably those are maximally just. Well, yes. but, that, so, but what does that what does that mean? And is that a rational assumption? I don't think that is at all because that that's 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 got a huge omission problem there. Because if you're saying if you look at a group of laws and you say these are just, therefore all these are uh, all these have to be unjust. It's almost like a part to whole kind of fallacy. You're kind of saying, well, these are just, and because these are just, and everything else are just less just. Right. What 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 makes these other laws not just? Um, so then the argument is that the laws of Leviticus are the maximally greatest, maximally great set of laws. That is the argument. They're maximally just. There is no set of laws that could be more just than those laws. I mean, I think that's kind of a fair argument to make. Is that what theonomists are mostly concerned about? That's that's the basic assertion. Okay. Yeah. So, so like thoughts on that. So, so is that, that, rational, that, is that a rational that. assumption to say <laughs> that the laws, the sum total of all of the laws in Leviticus are the maximally great set of laws, the most just, just set of laws, Therefore, we should try to um, basically use those exact laws. Well, yeah, but you would have to, if you were going to assert that as theonomists do, you would have to assume that like these laws were not just given to one group of people for one time in history, but rather that they're, you know, so, you know, as they continue <clears throat> to contend. I, I would, I'm kind of different from theonomists on this, but I, I see the laws in the Pentateuch as a kind of image of... <clears throat> God's ideal law, because if, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry, um, if you look at the Pentateuch, there were several things that were <clears throat> legalized that should not have been, like polygamy or uh, enslavement of, uh, of uh, foreign people. Yeah, so I think the example of divorce might be interesting. That's what I was say. So Jesus said, specifically, and <clears throat> um, speaking to the Pharisees, he said that uh, divorce was allowed by Moses because of your hardness of hearts, but from the beginning it has not always been this way. And the ideal there being that um, marriage is ideally a uh, monogamous heterosexual uh, relationship that lasts uh, for the entire lifetime. But, as mentioned, the Levitical law includes um, cases where how do you deal with your second and third wife? How do you deal with the children of your, um, of your polygamous wives or of your concubines? Or, in the case of Jesus, uh, specifically, how do you deal with um, how do you deal with divorce? So it seems to me would that be a a pretty good argument to say that if Jesus says that there was a provision in the laws that um, basically are Jesus is divorce. saying that these laws have been <coughs> compromised for the people of Israel and that yeah. they aren't the ideal laws, but rather that they have been formed specifically for that nation. I mean, also, I mean, it kind of, it's kind of an interesting trend because you also kind of see that with cleanliness laws. The reason why you couldn't eat pig, the reason why you couldn't eat, you know, uh, fish that didn't have scales or fins, the reason why you weren't supposed to eat seafood was because it just was completely unsafe and clean. And still there's health concerns with eating those kind of things, but at least it's safer now to eat them, which is why when, you know, Paul, uh, Paul had the vision of eating, or Peter, Peter had the vision of, of, of 
of the unclean food, God said, go ahead and partake. Yeah, but that's ceremonial. I, I right, it's ceremonial law, but if, yeah, if, I don't if ceremonial law can be, you know, for the particular people at a particular time, why can't civil law be for Because moral law is not like that. But ceremonial law is. And so you've got two cases where you've got one law which isn't like that and one law that is, and then you've got an undecided factor on civil law. Okay. So where's the evidence of saying this has to be like this for everyone or this was for a particular people at a particular time? Because there's no, there's no indicator in the Bible that the civil law was repealed. Well, there is an indicator that it will be repealed and replaced um, by the, you know, the new kingdom at the uh, final... Are you talking about Matthew 5.18? I'm talking about Philippians 2. Um, Ooh, I didn't know that one. That, <coughs> What's uh, it say? That um, all the nations and all the people, every knee uh, above the earth and in the earth and below the earth will bow and recognize Christ as Lord oh, to the glory correct. of God's Father. And at that time, we will be under a theocracy because Christ will assert his uh, lordship over all of creation uh, to the blessing of some and to the detriment of others. Also on theocracy, like you were saying, that it's always been an example of theocracy, but when Jesus was actually here, like mm-hmm. you have the rich young ruler, he didn't tell him, like, this is the way to give him a, an option, which would kind of, like, we have the option, and I think that our, like, country should have the option until then, yeah. because that's how Jesus had it. And, and just something kind of back to the three different laws thing, it was kind of interesting, because, yes, we haven't been told that civil law doesn't it doesn't apply anymore, but we also haven't been told that it does. Whereas when you have ceremonial law, it was told it's no longer applicable. In moral law, Christ made it a point to say that it's still continuing on. So if that happens with moral law and ceremonial law, if you have to have like a particular yes, it continues on, and no, it doesn't continue on, and civil law hasn't received either, then why can we say for certain that theonomy is something that we should consider as something ongoing? When moral law was given the go-ahead to keep going on, but civil law wasn't. seems to me that Pascal's wager there would be in favor of theonomy. You have something that's given by God, or you have something that you create on your own, for example, a law. It seems to me the safer thing to do is to go with something that's given by God. Does that seem reasonable? Oh, yeah. That's why we need to see evidence, because Pascal's wager, I think, would definitely say that. So Yeah, it's just, in, yeah, it's just indeterminate one way or the other. So is that true? If it if it's indeterminate, do we become theonomous? I agree. Yes. So let's figure out how to crush it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be a theonomist. <laughs> does, does anyone else have? Do any of the spectators of this uh, this fight have uh, any comments so far? Input. That is that like you're given one thing from She's God, while we're given Jesus, and his actions are kind of different than theonomy if you think about it. And yeah. he was given to us. She's so, like, he didn't stone her. He didn't or, try to institute any sort of a government, right? Yeah, he... And that's what the Jews expected. Mm-hmm. He didn't come in. Well, they had a misunderstanding of what his kingdom would be. Okay, The government so, should be on his shoulder. If, if Jesus <coughs> didn't institute So, let me let me ask you guys well, this. Okay, so what what do y'all think about that verse that says um, be in subjection, yeah, to the governing authorities? What about that? What, what do y'all what do y'all think the uh, application is to theonomy? Let me just read it to y'all so we're all completely on the same page. Everyone must submit to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist are instituted by God. So then, the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. 
For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do good and you will have its approval. For government is God's servant for your good. Uh, I don't know. It didn't specify what kind of government. I'm just saying. But if you do wrong, be afraid because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For government is God's servant and avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. So it kind of seems to be a suggestion here of um, insofar as the government punishes those who do wrong, then we should be in subjection to it. Um, Therefore, you must submit not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. And for this reason, you pay taxes, since the authorities are God's public servants continually attending to these tasks. Um, Okay, then it says to pay taxes, and then it pretty much wraps up talking about that. So, any thoughts? Well, I would would say when it talks about uh, government punishing evildoers, what standard will the government use to determine who's an evildoer and who's not? Well, um, I mean, the question would be like about the Roman government at this particular moment, since that was a government. And I think, in a broader <coughs> sense, the moral law. Don't y'all think maybe because it's applicable to all people for all time? Romans um, one says it's been um, it's written on everyone's heart, and our consciences testify about it. No, but I think I think the whole point of that passage is to say that you should obey the governing authorities, regardless of whether they're enforcing explicitly at any given time a moral law unless the unless it's actually conflicting with your moral law. Well if it's telling you to do something immoral. Mm -hmm. So it's literally saying that the government has powers to tell you to do things that have nothing to do with the moral law, but you are still subject to them. But taxation is theft and therefore immoral, so (laughs) (laughs) yes. Personally I think that this doesn't this just doesn't really have any bearing because it's not envisioning a governmental system wherein you actually have the uh, rightful authority to change that system, right? And that's what we're talking about with theonomy, is within the actions that are actually permitted within our form of government, so okay. without violating any of the... So what you're saying is this doesn't even apply. We should in- institute this, yeah. which would be perfectly legal. It would be permissible by our government if that was ever to come about. For the sake of the argument, can we define the term theocracy? Theocracy. Um, well, let me come up. Oh. Theocracy. Government instituted by God. And run by God. That's what I think. It's not just instituted, but I think it has to be consistently managed by the divine okay. intervention of God. Any objections to that definition? Yeah. Already. Does that help, Samuel? Yeah. Okay. Alrighty, so who have I convinced of theonomy? Anyone yet? Have I influenced someone who previously did not have an opinion to now have an opinion? (laughs) Frankly, I'm kind of undecided because I'm an evidence guy, and frankly, I haven't seen enough to be able to say yes or no. For real, theonomists have good arguments. I don't know if they're good enough to be able to adopt, but there's also good arguments against it. So at the point I have to be at the sympathizer and say that I'm undecided until I can look at everything. I just have a question. Um, was the Mosaic Law not to like set apart the nation of Israel from other tribes and nations at that time? Like I don't see the relevance of that now. Okay. The, the purpose of the Mosaic Law was to show us that 
we cannot be good on our own and that we're going to fail the Mosaic law every single time. I think that's the overarching purpose of it. Am I kind of on the same track as your question? Uh, not really. Okay. Kind of, like, I understand that, but also, like, from a worldly standpoint in terms of government, just to, like, set the nation of Israel apart as... You know, like, from this one. Like, when like other people look at them, they know that's an Israelite because of the way they act. They don't eat no. certain foods. They are very particular about what sort of activities they, you know, they're, they're very, they have this very strong message that they do not support these certain immoral activities. Um, yeah. You know, it makes them stand out very, very starkly when you compare them to like the Canaanites, right? Yeah, I would answer, I think Theonomus would answer that question in the, in the affirmative. If it's not like the purpose, it's definitely a purpose, because God like more or less said that in numerous instances, be holy as I am holy. So yeah, I, I say yes. I don't understand, I guess, the relevance of that after Jesus. Oh, I, I think I understand where you're going. So the civil law, what the category of law that we're talking about is not so much things that govern... Like morality. Uh, well, yeah, but, not, but even more than that, not so much things that govern uh, an Israelite's particular expression of their culture. What we're talking about is things like um, in, um, in Deuteronomy, for example, where it says... The Lord said to Moses, everyone must have, I'm paraphrasing, everyone must have handrails on the top of their house. Because if someone is on your house and you do, on the top of your roof and you do not have guards there and they fall off and die, their blood guilt is upon you. That's an example of a law. It's, there's nothing specifically Israelite about that. But is that something that um, is still just today? I mean, most people would probably say yes. You know, government regulation of safety is a pretty good idea. But then there are other categories of law that are specifically dealing with when you find a, for example, a man and a woman uh, that are committing adultery together, you shall bring them out, they shall testify, and you will execute them. And that's something that, that's not uniquely Israelite. That's not something to set them apart. That's expunging evil, specifically expunging evil from the society. And that's something to be carried out by the civil magistrates or the civil rulers of, of the Israelites. So it's in this different category where it's not so much a moral issue as much as it is an issue of this is the equivalence of um, this is the equivalence of criminal law. Mm-hmm. It would, would be a better would be a better analogy. Uh, does that help clarify a little bit about the specific sort of laws that we're talking about? Yeah, it's and, just a question of should we treat those like the ceremonial law and ignore them, or should we treat them like the moral law and try to maintain? So here, this this might help a little bit more. If someone says, why do you love your neighbor as yourself? You say, that's a moral law. Every person should do that for all time. Irrespective of whether an Israelite or whether they're uh, a Canaanite, you should always love your neighbor as yourself. If someone says, why do you sacrifice goats in the temple? They would say, this is my way of appeasing uh, appeasing Yahweh and um, for covering up my sins. This is how I'm made at one with Yahweh as an Israelite in covenant community with him. But now being in covenant with Jesus Christ, that's no longer relevant. If someone says, why did you get your hand cut off? Well, I did something that was against the law and was criminal, and I acted unjustly, and the way to preserve equality in this situation, the just punishment for me, for my transgression, or for my criminal action, was to have my hand cut off. Does that, does that help clarify a little bit more? Okay. Okay, good. All right, we, this is probably a good time to start wrapping up. So um, are there any brief closing thoughts? Um, if someone who hasn't spoken yet would like an opportunity to do so, I'm sure we'd love to hear your thoughts. 
Well, I definitely have spoken, but I have a couple of closing thoughts. Um, so it seems to me that theonomy in the broad sense is attractive because we recognize that God, when God makes laws, he gives laws, he does it for a reason, and he's not going to make a law that is immoral or unjust, right? At the same time, I think we have to consider a couple of different things. Um, one, we have to consider that what is just for one person to do in one circumstance is not necessarily just for a different person to do in a different circumstance. So just because a law is just for Israel does not actually mean that it would be just for somebody else. That's not a given, right? Uh, because justice does depend on circumstances, and it does depend on who's actually authority and things like that, and who's given the authority to people. Um, second of all, I think that it's important to note that justice isn't mutually exclusive. So if a law is just, that doesn't mean that that is the only law that would be just. Um, and we have already said that there's at least one instance of a law, um, a Levitical law, that is specifically said to be not the ideal, the most just law. Um, Jesus said it himself, right, when he's talking about divorce. So I think you can make a strong argument to say that the Levitical law isn't in and of itself the most, pop the greatest possible just law, set of laws. Um, it seem, that seems to suggest that it's sort of adjusted for that culture. Um, so I, I think if we were to try to institute similar laws, it, it wouldn't be a matter of trying to institute those laws and the letter of those laws. Um, because even Jesus said that the letter of those laws is not the best possible law. But that those laws probably do reflect the, a, a true reality, and that we should consider that. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean 